The scripture passage this evening is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis 22, and uh, I'm going to be reading the first 19 verses of that, actually the verse 20. The first 20 verses of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abram got up, saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut through the wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abram looked up and saw, in the, saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I take the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abram built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abram looked up and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will be like, will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I cease with the Bible reading just there, but I trust that all of you, whenever I read this, it strikes me, and it must also strike you that the coming of Christ and the nature of the gift God would give us through the death of Christ is a prophecy in the Bible spoken from God through a special angel to a man who had lifted his hand with a knife to kill his own son. And heaven proclaimed, I wanted to see if you would obey when God spoke to you. And when read it, we read it now, we know in our heart of hearts that it refers to that which happened when God and often when we say God we, we almost feel deep inside God of course so great the creator the one who governs all providence and so of course one day he came and he sent his son, and his son became our salvation. We know the doctrine. We know the reality of the history that relates to this. And when we become older, it is simply part of the, the environment of our faith. Yes. And so when Christmas comes, this season of the year. There is no surprise in our heart. No sense of the fact that divinity itself was wrenched by the ugliness, the horror that had to happen so that a bunch of sinners like us who are gathered here tonight could be saved. We in a church like this one, which always speaks about doctrine, 
And nothing I say just now is meant to demean doctrine in any way. But after a while, when you grow up for 10, 20, 30 years, and finally 50, and 60, and 70, and over, other doctrines are clear. But God went out of his way to have something happen centuries before Jesus was crucified. Then already, to tell his special people the day will come when God himself will feel the wrenching agony that accompanies the necessity of taking his own son and arranging his crucifixion. But even more than that, speaking of doctrine, let's remember it for just a minute. We know today that however moving and real this passage from Genesis may be, it does not begin to describe the depth and the ugliness and the awfulness and the beauty and the holiness and the wretchedness of what was involved in Jesus' crucifixion. And when I say that, I do not refer simply to the person hanging on the cross with the blood from his hands and the wounds from his arms and his side, but I refer to the agony within God's own existence. In the New Testament, of course, we are all familiar with John 3.16 and one of the big problems with John 3.16, as I learned it long before I was 16 years of age, it was just a little statement there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved the world that much. But we need this chapter from Genesis to see what that means. That Abraham was commanded to take his son and put him on an altar and prepare to kill him. And Abraham did not know what was happening to him. He did not know. Oh, when we think about this passage, here in this book of Genesis, we should spend time more often in our lives thinking about it because it provides us with the equipment we need in order to go through the Christmas season with the proper emotions. The proper emotions. This here is arranged already in the book of, of Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Because God, and you'll excuse me because maybe I'm going too far on this, but as I have seen 
how Christmas has degenerated over the decades. I look across this group of people here this evening, and uh, there are some who are younger indeed, and when I say younger, I view a person of 35 as being pretty young, by the way. <laughs> but a lot of us are older. And we've gone through a few things. Some of us have gone through the depression, even. We, not just the depression that's psychological, but we, we remember those days when people didn't know where their next dollar was going to come from. Some of us have gone through the wars, the awful wars, the Second World War, that followed all of that economic distress. And we remember when churches like this, not this particular building because it didn't exist at that time, but I think the congregation did at that time, and you had a service flag. And you watch the blue stars turn to gold. And some of you have been in the military. And you've felt the fear. And you've felt what it's like to cry on a troop ship when you're going into battle. All of those events, serious, forming our lives, and now we come to a season in which Jesus is coming into the world. The Son of God is coming into the world. And it becomes a time of frivolity. A time which is exactly the opposite of those things which we experienced long ago. The very nature of the Christmas celebration certainly as it is expressed nowadays. I have gone place by a place where people live. It used to be that sometime they would have a carol playing at the door. And now new people are there. And the voice is that of Santa Claus. If it were not so ugly, so awful, so grim, so out of place as Santa Claus, with a voice strange and ugly, makes some stupid remarks about this wonderful season of the year, as gifts are given and all of that. And please excuse me if this is is, is too, too sharp a judgment. But today, with all the stupidities on television, with all the irrelevancies in our culture, with the flow of alcohol and the use of drugs in this season of the year, it is as if this is a total about-face of anything that God had in mind when he sent his son, his only begotten son into this world and took the sins of all of history and laid them on his shoulders and sent him to a cross. And that baby in a manger 
that he should become the cause, the occasion of all this ugly frivolity, which is actually a blasphemy of reality itself, a blasphemy of the love of God. And as I've been thinking about this passage, I don't ever remember preaching on it before, but I don't remember a lot of things, so that doesn't make that much difference. But just going over it as I was thinking about this, it suddenly struck me that this is so important. And for us who believe in Jesus and who want to celebrate the true Christmas message, we must see that all I've talked about thus far from this passage is suddenly pushed aside by an announcement. In Abraham's time, Abraham's time, then already God announced the reason he's coming is so that through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Oh, the sheer marvel of the scripture, the marvel of Christianity, the marvel of the truth of God that's revealed on the pages of his Bible that in Abraham, Abraham must have gone home and talked to Sarah and said, I don't know what he was talking about exactly. Of course he didn't. But we do. Then he was talking about the day that this Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, is not just for the people of Cottage Grove Church or those who will be with us this evening singing for us and other churches and congregations that all of this is the source of eternal blessing for all the nations on earth. All the nations on earth. This is the source of their blessing. There is no other source of their blessing. This is an eternal blessing. This is the source. And I find myself again, if you excuse me for being personal, but I, I always had a good time at Christmas time and I used to work for a furniture company and we sold furniture and we made more money and Christmas and all that sort of thing. And those kinds of things happen. But the way society has deteriorated, lives have deteriorated, and, how good it is to know that that which we sing about in our churches, which we've known some of us from childhood on, Abraham knew it. And he must have scratched his head about it and wondered what it was all about. But we know that right now, we are living in the time when Christmas means more than it ever meant before because it's about the coming 
of that child of Abraham, Abraham's seed, who came to be a blessing for all the nations of the world. He came to be a blessing for all the nations of the world. We don't read this in a way, and, and, and think about that. But I'm just asking you to think about that tonight. In this Christmas season, the Christmas season will be about over. But the great era of mission that is envisioned already as God talked to Abraham is in full swing today. The message of Jesus can be heard throughout all the world. Mass media, much of it is employed in order to tell people this Jesus is your savior. This is a great foundation for international missions among all nations. Again, I, I, I mentioned, and I believe it was my congregational prayer, our congregational prayer, that we're thinking of those in, who, in the Russian-speaking world. People whom we feared at a certain time. Their armies, what would the Russians ultimately do to us English-speaking people in the world? And when this very gospel came to Russia, to a group of Christians, to a group of non-Christians at the time, the faith was established. Some of you are aware of this, but I, I can remember when I was with the Back to God Hour, and, and then even after that, when I was involved in, in missions to the Russian-speaking people, to being in Moscow, in large church, not the only, I wasn't the only one, there were several people there, C.J. Dendolk, some of you may know him, some other reformed pastors, and it didn't have to be reformed, but they were, to look at a church filled with those who wanted this gospel and wanted it with all their hearts. With all their hearts. And I remember as a kid, I, I, I thought of the Russians as absolutely without any hope for them at all. The teenager and so forth, as I just looked at the world, I figured they were people who were, Stalin was there and all of that. And to look on a congregation of adults who wanted to know the same gospel that we celebrate in this very building and within our churches. Oh, what we need today, we need a lot of things to happen within the world around us. But I believe with all my heart that we also need to have a new understanding among us who have been Christians for many, many years and we take it for granted and all of We have to understand that God is pleased to use ordinary people like ourselves
who misunderstands so much most of the time. And he comes to us as Abraham must have felt when he heard this. After he'd gone through what he'd just gone through, through all your, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Now, he says that to us too, through people like you. If you get with a program and we teach one another to remember that it's not just whether this church or that church flourishes, congregation, where all sorts of things happen within a community, but we are those who have been entrusted with the gospel, filling this book, also the book of Genesis, the passage that we read, and the great goal of the God we worship is to bring his people in from all the world. And I can't forget, and I, I just mentioned this to you, as some of you may know, I'm, in, I'm involved in a seminary over there. We have four campuses, and I'll just describe one of them. These are, when you look at the people there who are members of this school campus, there are about 130, 35 students in that campus, all of them adults. And in that particular campus, 60 of our students are Jews who came to Christ. For the very people who received this message first are moving throughout the world with a new evangelical faith. It's a great time in the world. We need to keep an international vision, yes. But even more important than that, we need to keep a biblical vision that involves the whole Bible and that right along with all of our confessions and with all the things that we do as a group of people here, this chapter way, way back in Genesis 22 describes what's happening now. Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The God who spoke saw that his son would come and that the day would come when the very one who brought this message to Abraham would raise his arm with a dagger in his hand and kill his own son and raise him from the dead and send his spirit so that sinners like us could be saved. The message is here already, and God calls us to be excited about that 
more than anything else. Amen. Lord our God, help us to understand the marvelous significance of your word, which is not really divided into Genesis all the way through to Revelation, not just the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it is unified in a description of the perfection of your vision for your church and kingdom. You saw it with great clarity, and we must assume that even when Adam fell, you knew what was going to happen in order that the great repair would occur when Abraham would finally come and become the father of all believers, but above all, your very son would come and pay the price. Not just that a single believer like any one of us here tonight could look forward to glory, but that all of us together can look forward to the day when we're in the place where all of those throughout all of history who have belonged to Abraham's seed will be brought together in eternal glory. Thank you, O oh God, that we can think of things like that in the Christmas season. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.